May you this day be blessed. Hi there, I'm Sister Catherine Herms and thank you for joining me today as we explore the love that is the heart of the world and the work of the heart that helps us become this love and discover it in the world so that all the world becomes to us like the miraculous burning bush. We have been invisibly stamped with the signature, the seal of the God who bends over us with such tenderness. I call this work of the heart, heart work. Heart work exists because people realize they've come to a place in their life where they, they want spiritual direction. Maybe there are too many options, or maybe there seems to be no options at all. Perhaps they have new eyes to see, or perhaps they're longing for this new sight. Some have touched the sunrise within their soul and want more. Others are longing for this spiritual gift. Sometimes our hearts are filled with nagging questions that run like background music in our life. Do I matter to God? Does God see me? Does God hear me? Does God get what's happening to me and what it means? In heart work, we answer the essential question, who am I now in this situation of my life and in these relationships? To learn more about heart work and what God has led me to do in the world, or just to stay in touch, visit touchingthesunrise.com. Hello, I'm here today with Jeanette, uh, a good friend of mine. We're here for a conversation. Actually, it's an interesting conversation because I shared with her like a passage from my own journal. And I just asked if we could just have a conversation about some of the um, ideas that are in there or what it sparked in her and myself as we meditated on that little section of my journal. I, like many of you, have been grappling with uh, my own feelings in these past months. Um, our families, um, situations in the world, you know, what we're seeing on the news, what we're seeing on our social media feeds, um, family, all these things. And um, one day I, I dropped into with all of that in my heart, and I, I looked at God, and he just said simply, I am acting. And I said, you were acting? Can I just write that down for <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, you? <laughs> I am acting. God is acting. No, not really. But he did say, I really heard those words in my heart very early on in the pandemic, actually. I am acting. I'm acting in the midst of this. And I've held on to those um, words through the weeks and now through the months. And what I will eventually share from my journal is when I stopped and really reflected on what that meant, at least for me. And, um, and I, I have to just <laughs> say a little thing here. And then, um, but I, I was looking a little bit last night at some of the conspiracy theories. A friend had come up and told me this terrible thing that was going to happen. And um, so in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep being so terrified, I looked it up and just said, this is a conspiracy theory. So um, that helped me go to sleep. 
But as I was reflecting again on this journal piece, it's almost like this is, I don't know if you can say this, Jeanette, like a divine conspiracy theory or? Well, I would, I would stop you there, sister, because I, I think that the fact of saying theory means that it's something that we've made up. We make up theories and we test them out and sometimes they turn out to be true and sometimes they don't. Whereas with God, it is always truth. So I would hesitate to say divine conspiracy theory, but I would say divine conspiracy because a conspiracy is this whole idea of working towards something. And I think that's what God is doing in us. Not coming up with maybe this crazy thing happened or that crazy thing happened for this other reason, but the only real reason is God and that God is acting. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, you know what that makes me, reminds me of, and actually you were the one who told me this um, a couple years ago, um, Carol Hauslander. Um, ah, yes. She, she lived from 1901 to 1954, and she, was, um, she lived in London all of her life. She was a British lay Roman Catholic. Um, she was an artist, mystic, a poet, and um, a spiritual teacher who helped many people in those years. But when she was 17, excuse me, her mother sent her out on an errand. And on her way to the street vendor to obtain what her mother wanted, she happened to look up and she reports that what she saw there was almost like um, a, a huge Russian icon that was spread across the entire sky above her. And the icon was the icon of Christ crucified, lifted up on the cross, yet looking down, almost, she says, almost brooding over the world. And shortly after that, she read in a newspaper an article about the assassination of the Russian Tsar Nicholas II. And the face that she saw in that article, which was the face of Nicholas II, was the face that she saw spread out over the sky as the crucified Christ. And that's just one of many different, um, you know, mystical or quasi-mystical experiences people have had through the years where they experience this, this way in which God is present to his people, especially during these immense times of suffering. Um, yeah, you have to love that sense of this overarching um, vision that really is enfolding the whole world, is enfolding all of humanity um, in God's protection, in God's love, and in God's presence. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So the other thing about Carol Hauslander, although I shouldn't say the other thing, there are many, many, many wonderful things about Carol Hauslander. And if, and if anyone out there has not read her, I truly urge you to do so. But what she taught me, um, just in such a, a simply eloquent way, is, um, is to see Christ in everyone. She recounts a story of being on the subway in London, at rush hour, and if anyone's ever been on a subway at rush hour in any city, 
you know that you're not exactly filled with warm, fuzzy feelings toward your fellow human beings. Um, it's a difficult situation. And as she was in this subway, she looked around and she saw Christ in absolutely every person in that subway car. Um, and that stayed, that sense stayed with her. That was, that was this gift that was given to her in that moment in that subway car that she could see Christ in everyone. And she saw him simultaneously living and rejoicing and suffering and dying in every single human being. And that really is, that's the unity of life in Christ. And as she went forward after that, she continued to see him. She continued to look on people from all walks of life, all sorts of people, even people she didn't particularly like, and be able to see Christ in them. And that is such an incredible gift. And honestly, it's one I pray for every day of my life because I can tend to be impatient with people and I can tend to dismiss people's opinions when they're different from mine. And to be able to take a step back from that and say, but Christ is here in this person um, just has, it, it really did change my life, cha mm -hmm. changing that perspective. Mm -hmm. It reminds me also of Thomas Merton in Louisville Yes. On Fifth and Walnut, I've told this story so many times, but he was, I think he had gone to the doctor and he was standing there in the corner downtown. And he also had just this um, clarity of insight. It was right. almost like these moments, many of us have had them, these moments when almost like the curtain gets pulled aside and we see what's truly happening. And as he looked at all the people in Louisville, on that corner of that street that night, um, he saw that every single person carried within themselves this little spark of the glory of God. Um, he called it the virgin point, and we can talk about that forever at another time, but this, this little spark that everyone had within them as as a child of god as as a human being and um i think that also speaks to what carol Hauslander was saying there too and um yeah so this divine conspiracy this divine way in which god is here but is almost cloaked because as carol Hauslander also said god is everywhere but our faith is so dim um, the idea of heaven is just so remote in the world today, but God is everywhere. So, so getting back to my little reflection from my journal, yes. God said, um, I am acting. I am at act at work here. So my, my poem goes, I am acting. Within what breaks, I am vast abyss. Within the falling, I am depthless depth. In the emptying, I am the silence. Stop. Shed your mind's unconscious gossip and still your heart. Touch your forehead to the earth, my carpet, a floral carpet, crimson red, on which you bumble and tumble in my glory. Yeah, yeah. I just I, the beginning part of it still speaks to me. Within what breaks, I'm vast abyss. So often we think of I'm going to pray to God and He's going to fix it. 
or take it away or make everything okay. Um, what, what God seems to be saying in this inspiration, small inspiration that I had, was that God is bigger than all of this. He's bigger than my pain. Um, he's present to it. So when things break, they fall. Um, from gravity, they fall into space. Um, and he's saying, when you fall, I am vast abyss. I can catch you. I can hold you. You can only fall in to me and into my presence and into my love within the falling i am depthless depth i have no bottom <laughs> you know i have no no depth i am deep you know um Corey ten boom uh no matter what pain it is i am deeper still um, yes. god is deeper still and and i think when we're living today in all that we're living um, we, we feel um, down, we feel in the depths, we say, um, we feel lost, uh, we feel like we don't know where we're going or what's going to happen, and in a sense, God says to us, I am an abyss, I am death, I will catch you, I will hold you. Um, yes, things are falling, but um, I am here and present and holding you. In the emptying, and I feel I'm being emptied out of so many things in my own life, walking through this process. Um, and maybe some of our listeners are too. In this emptying um, experience, I am in silence because when we're filled with whatever it is, money, things, gadgets, people, noise, um, social media, whatever it is, when we're filled, parties, entertainment, when we're filled with all these things, um, we are in a sense escaping that inner silence where, where God is. And um, Carol Hofstander again says, God speaks silently. He speaks in your heart. So in the emptying, I am the silence. Like, don't be afraid, Kathleen, God is saying to me. Don't be afraid of the emptying. Don't be afraid the silence because I am the silence, silenter still, if you can break grammar rules, but I am the silence deeper still. Um, I don't know how, how that in, in inspired well, you. Or... What, what, what inspired me particularly in that passage is where you wrote, shed your mind's unconscious gossip and still your heart. Because I think that in any time of crisis, and we're in a time of crisis now, but humanity is almost always, I think, in a time of crisis of one sort or another, um, we listen to a lot of voices. And to be able to still them and to listen to the one voice um, with a capital V that is God's voice um, is an act of will. It is not something that comes naturally, at least not to people who aren't saints. Um, it certainly doesn't come naturally to me. I've got my brain, I lie down at night and my brain just goes round and round and round. And I have to be the one to say, all right, get rid of the day's gossip. Get rid of that unconscious gossip that's just still in there and still your heart. And then in the silence, you can encounter God. Mm -hmm. And actually, Jeanette, there's, um, there's such a blessing when we do make that leap. Um, that um, that willingness to, to 
is that, that willingness almost to allow ourselves to be neutral, um, that willingness to have the courage to accept um, what's going on, to be with and accompany what's happening. As, as you were saying, when before we reach that point, we can find ourselves just emotionally driven. Um, our perceptions get clouded by these emotions that are running many times in this realm that's unconscious even to us because we have to realize, and we all do, that all these things that are happening around us and to us right now are different than what normally happens to us. But so they're going to be um, uh, tapping into memories, experiences way back in our life um, that maybe we haven't had the chance to really look at, um, to heal. And so when we, when we don't stop, we can find ourselves running on emotion, um, prone to conflict and to strife. Um, we can have this negative view of the world and the self, but when we, when we do take that leap, we, we find that we're more tranquil. Um, we, we realize that everything that's going on is more than I can know. Um, and it's more than I can figure out, come to, be wise about, um, hold on my own. Um, in, in one sense, you're saying to be focused more on God's word, on God's eyes, on God's revelation, than on what scares and angers us. Um, when, when we're more emotionally neutral, too, we're, we're more able to see context and paradigm and paradox. And, and all of that opening up is, you know, even the meaning, God, I'm vast abyss, I am death, I am silence. And when we open up, when our, the, the clouds of perception over our eyes are kind of cleared out, and we can see things more for what's really happening, um, we have we we allow ourselves to be more um, emotionally neutral, and our emotionality, in a sense, kind of goes into the background. We still feel things, but that driving emotion that runs our thoughts, um, or our mouth, or our fingers on the keyboard if we're commenting, um, it tends to go into the back, and we can be more reasonable and more um, wise by looking at the whole context. Of what's going on right and I think I think that your words are wise in the sense that when you talk about I am the silence that these things can only happen in a con context of silence you have to make your brain be quiet you have to make your emotions be quiet you have to be open um, one of one of the people that I know of who's who's written eloquently of silence is of course Eddie Rizal who um, is who was an Auschwitz survivor and um, a phenomenal writer, humanitarian, philosopher, all sorts of things. Um, and what he says is that silence is the only appropriate response to something as horrible as Auschwitz. Um, and in a sense, things like that, not just horrible things, but wonderful things and everything in the spectrum in between are, are things that we experience that are beyond our vocabulary. And we try to put them into our vocabulary. We try to, to make them fit 
um, our narrow constraints and concepts of what life is. And, um, and when, when you write here so beautifully, in the emptying, I am the silence. Um, to me, that's, that's echoing Rizal. It's echoing all these people who have said that, that, you know, we're not dreaming big enough. We're not looking big enough because God is so much more than all the things that we can chatter about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that there's a poem, too, um, by George Herbert called The Flower. Oh, I and love George retreat. Herbert. Yeah. On retreat, I found this little snippet out of a poem in a book that just spoke to me. I recently made retreat, so I'm carrying all the past months in my heart and trying to make sense of my own life. And um, the two lines were, who could have thought my shriveled heart could have recovered greenness? And um, when we take that uh, step back into silence, it's almost the only way. Instead of trying to figure it out with our own language, I love the way you said that. When we we step back into silence to hear the language of God, um, our hearts wake up. They they um, they they're bend their flowers bent over <laughs> from the storm begin to stand up straight and to face the sun and to to be beautiful once again and to have life once again. And that's kind of how I felt my heart was what what was happening to my heart during um, during my retreat. It was rediscovering greenness. Mm. And that, and that's such a beautiful passage. It truly is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, to use a, a totally secular image, but if you think of the story of Cinderella and how um, the prince was trying to fit the, the stepsisters' feet into the shoe that they couldn't fit into, and they kept trying, they kept pushing, they kept trying to make it fit. And that's what we tend to do with God sometimes. Like, I've got my ideas about the way the world should be, and I'm going to make them fit into my religion and my faith and my God, rather than saying, oh, Lord, what is it that would be green in me that you would like to see grow, that you would like to see develop? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's just such a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that you've captured it beautifully, and Herbert's captured it beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful prayer. What do you want to see green in me? Because mm-hmm. yeah. God is is acting in in each of us. And just to bring it bring this conversation down as we're coming near the end to um, real life, everyday life. Um, we've been talking about huge issues and um, huge um, reflective inspirations. But um, again, Carol Hauslander in the book The Read of God talks about just the very simple ways in which we can be Christ in the world today. And she writes, we could scrub the floor for a tired friend or dress a wound for a patient in a hospital or lay the table and wash up for the family. But we shall not do it in martyr spirit or with that worst spirit of self-congratulations, a feeling that we are making ourselves more perfect, more unselfish, more positively kind. We shall do it just for one thing, 
that our hands may Christ's hands in our life, that our service may let Christ serve through us, that our patience may bring Christ's patience back to the world. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. She is truly amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that we can't, we can't talk about all of this without, I mean, I, mean, I love the sense of, of, oh, God, what do you want to see green in me, and how can I grow? Um, but one of the ways that we grow, and the one of the ways that we try not to look at because we don't like it, is the problem of pain, of being in pain, and how pain can be a way of, of growing. Um, I, one of my other favorite authors, as you know, is C.S. Lewis. Um, and he actually has a book called The Problem of Pain, and um, in it, he, he, he wrote one of his most famous lines, which is, pain insists on, upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And that's one of the things that... Um, I know I certainly do, and I think a lot of people do, is if, if something is painful, somehow for us it's wrong, and we push it away, rather than thinking, this is a way that God's really trying to get my attention. He hasn't been able to get my attention in other ways. He's given me some nice things to look at, and I'm still not paying attention, so here it is. Listen to me. And, um, and I think that that's part of the equation that we, we kind of try to avoid because of course we want to avoid pain. No one goes looking for pain, but it is part of life and, um, we can, and God is with us in, in the pain as well as in the pleasure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that idea of pain um, uh, makes me think also of children and the end of this little reflection um, prayerful reflection also kind of leads us into that space of, of um, you know, Jesus telling us we need to be like little children. Mm-hmm. So the words here are, touch your forehead to the earth. My carpet, a floral carpet, crimson red, on which you bumble and tumble. It was a sense of children playing. Right. To be, and really, when the worst things are happening, they can still play. Because they have this utmost trust that the adults are taking care of it. <laughs> that somehow they will be taken care of. They know that they are powerless, that they are not able to uh, solve the problem, um, that they are not able to surmount the situation, um, that they don't know the answer, but they know that they have need, and that they know that they are totally uh, being held, loved, and cared for by the adults. And um, so really, it's a call, I think, in the midst of all this very serious situation to also bumble and tumble and play and entrust um, with God. And I think C.S. Lewis also was someone who was able to carry that, uh, that burden lightly to yes. find joy in the midst of his sorrow. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Good, good. So um, I'm really grateful we had this conversation. It's been helpful for me. I always enjoy talking to you, sister. Oh, good, good. And um, I really 
wishing the best to all of our listeners. Um, we're praying for you. And um, we wish you all um, childhood and the presence of God in a new sense in your lives. Thank you and God bless you. God bless. Sometimes we can feel as though we were lost in a deep forest where no clear paths are visible. A blend of spiritual guidance, mentorship, and counseling, the Heartwork community is a place where you learn to explore, love, open, and nourish the paradise of your heart, your deep heart, where God is already dwelling within you. You will discover that though you waited for light to appear from outside, the paths of light are imprinted in your heart where the Trinity abides, and we learn to walk them through the valleys and mountaintops of lived experience. Heartwork is a process of accompaniment that honors your story, creates a space in which you can safely explore what is happening with you, gain the tools to come home to your heart where the Trinity is already at work, be recreated by love, and set out again. To learn more about Heartwork and what God has led me to do in the world, or just to stay in touch, visit touchingthesunrise.com.